Sometimes the internet call, uh, I don't know if this ever happens to you being a young hip guy, but uh, for me, sometimes the internet doesn't work and it's obviously never my skills. Never once that's been the problem. I fundamentally do not believe that your primary residence is an investment. They're charging you two or $300 a month indefinitely because you didn't have the 20% down. Welcome to episode 0006. This is the Be Wealthy Podcast with Brett Tanner, and I'm excited to be here with you today and talk about should you buy a home in 2024? Over the last three weeks, I've been asked that question more than any other time, and I think it's because we've had this crazy run-up after COVID. Uh, money was free. Everyone was buying. We had the rates go you know, crazy. You had rates in the sevens. Uh, and now rates have come down pretty significantly as we're filming this here today. Rates are high sixes, mid sixes, and you could probably buy something down maybe with a high five in front of it if you bought a bunch, put a bunch of money down and, and bought points, paid money to get a lower rate. And you're, you're asking that question, right? You're seeing inventory, the markets in Phoenix as we're filming this. Our market is somewhat balanced. We, we have a, a score here out of 100. Uh, it's the Cromford Index, and we have this, this gentleman that does all this data, he tracks Maricopa County. And if you ever wanna know um, why is more data looked at in Maricopa County than anywhere else, it's because it's the it's the county where more transactions occur than anywhere else. In a normal year, we have about 100,000 transactions occur. Typically, we have about 75,000 agents to do that, which means it's the most competitive market in the country. It doesn't mean it's cool, but because of that transaction count, there's lots of really, really great data. And so I look at this Cromford Index, and it'll, it goes a score between zero and it's been as high as 500, but 100 in the score, it's balanced. It's equal negotiating power between buyer and seller. When that, if you go post COVID, you had things like the score got as high as 500 and that's where we're getting 85 offers. Well, it's not fair, right? It's all the, the seller has all the cards. And so as a buyer, you're either really paying cash, you're going significantly over ask price if you're financed and probably if you're cash. And so we had all that craziness. And so now we're, we're at today, prices are relatively high. Affordability is a challenge. We know that we have a lack of housing supply. And over the last three weeks, I've had probably, I don't know, five or 10 people call, ask me, should I buy a home in 2024? One of the people that asked me not in the last three weeks, but asked me about a year ago was you and said, hey, should I buy a home, right? It's, hey, I'm thinking about buying a home. And so as we sit here, we'll look at, we're gonna really go through what's the framework, what's the methodology that you should be using to answer that question, right? Should you buy a home right now? And I wanna give you the answer that allows you to build a model that tells you whether you should buy a home and how you should be thinking about buying a home regardless of the market, right? So we're writing this for 2024, but we wanna give you insight and a way to check in. Because financially, when you think about wealth, it's really hard to take a lot of mental capacity and try to make decisions, right? We do it all the time. Like, hey, should I buy this car or should I buy this car? Right, should I buy, you know, should I buy this vacation or this vacation? And so what if a lot of the financial decisions we make, there's really, really smart people out there that have wrote really, really smart things, and we could take their model, tweak it slightly to our own circumstance, and build our own model around financial decisions that we're making, and a home purchase is definitely one of those. And so I wanna go and I wanna start by talking about Sam Dogen. And he's the financial samurai, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and he wrote a really incredible book called Buy This, Not That. And one of my takeaways, I have a few that I'll share at the end of the show, but one of the takeaways I had was the methodology around buying a home. And so before you buy, he says, look, here's how to invest your money. And here's to be thinking about other things before 
before you actually go buy the home. Number one, the closer you are to buying a house, the less risk you should take. What he's saying here is financially, if you've got your investments, if you've got investable dollars out there and you're in some stock that's super volatile, uh, that could maybe eliminate your down payment or have an impact. And it might you might need to show reserves or this is a part of your financial world. You want to take less risk. Um, so he's saying, you know, lower your risk, take less risk. Uh, the better your investing acumen, the more risk you're able to take. Uh, he talks in here about the higher your existing cash balance, the more risk you can take. This is a big one, right? So you want to go figure out, start thinking through when you're buying a home, what down payment am I going to go with? And the biggest thing here is to run the cost of PMI, private mortgage insurance. And you want to look at the difference in putting, say, if you're going FHA, three and a half or five percent down versus ten or twenty percent. Uh, I am a big fan of putting twenty percent down. So is Sam Dojan. Uh, it does a couple things. Number one, you're lowering your payment with the additional down payment, but you're also getting out of this tricky PMI, which can end up being coal you know, several hundred dollars a month in a tax. It really, if you think about it this way, they're charging you two or $300 a month indefinitely because you didn't have the 20% down. So Cole, how, imagine this. It's like you're paying this $300 a month that doesn't really do anything. It's one thing to pay a higher payment that's driving down principal. It's another thing to put money into something that's an investment. It's another to just light it on fire because you didn't save money, you didn't plan. And I don't want anyone out here doing that. So I wanna run those different options. So everyone out here, before you get a home, even if you're six months or a year out, the first thing you should do is go get pre-qualified. I'm not saying go buy a home. I'm saying we wanna do two things. Number one, we wanna go pull your credit. I wanna make sure there's no issues, there's not some weird maybe judgment that's not yours, but you really wanna know what's on your credit. And I would go to the lender and ask the question, hey, if I wanted to buy a home right now, number one, what do I qualify for, right? Number two, is there anything on here? And if I wanna buy a home in, the, in right now, is there anything stopping me from doing that? And whether that, that could be on the investment side and that could be on, on, on the primary residence side. And today we're gonna be talking mostly about you owner occupying that home. So now we've got some numbers, right? The next thing we wanna do is we wanna go look at, um, I wanna look at those three different options. What's your payment gonna be if you go FHA, if you went that route, if you're within that limits? FHA, there are caps on, on uh, purchase price and in every county in the country is gonna be different. But if you just throw it in Google FHA limit in my area, it'll tell you how much that is. If that lines up with the home you're thinking about buying, you could potentially go FHA, which is three and a half percent down. The other options conventional, which is a minimum of 5% down, and then you go to 20% down. So I want you to run those three different options and see the different payment amounts based on those options. The other thing before you buy a home, you should be very careful about taking on additional debt, right? Your debt to income ratio is a factor in which banks use to approve you, right? So they're gonna add up all the different debts, the monthly payments you have combined divided by your income, including this new mortgage payment, and they're gonna see what that debt to income ratio is and they're gonna approve you based on that. And we'll drop some, some notes and there's some links in the show notes because that'll go on a whole different tangent, but we'll drop in there some different debt to income ratios that are based on what banks are looking at right now. So now we're ready to buy. So what should we be thinking about? Sam Dogen, uh, put together his 30-30-3 rule. And I'd love for to see in the comments here, how does, did you violate the 30-30-3 rule? Did you do it? Yes or no? And so I'll walk you through what it is. So the first part of it uh, is number one, save 30% of the purchase price. Uh, say 30% of the purchase price. You're not gonna put 30% down. So let's assume in Phoenix, Arizona, and we'll do an example here in a minute. 
Uh, probably the house you're going to buy entry-level housing, which seems crazy to say this, is probably around $500,000 for a single-family home in most of our markets. Uh, it is completely insane to me because when I got into real estate, even in 2005, I mean, you would have had entry-level housing, Cole would have been, I mean, you could have got stuff even at the peak for two, $300,000. So it's crazy today that it's 500000 but that's where we're at. So 30% of that number is we need to save $150,000. He's recommend putting, recommending putting 20% down. So if we're buying a $500,000 house, we'd be putting $100,000 down. And we would save the additional $50,000 as we're saving it. We're saving it for the AC, the roof, anything that could go wrong with you owning the home. Because you've been renting, right? You're, you call your landlord, but the AC goes out. You have a plumbing issue, you call your landlord. And so that extra 50000 saving, what it is, the cushion, so you never have to take out debt in terms of a credit card or an unsecured loan or something to fix the house. You've got money set aside. A lot of things we talk about on the Be Wealthy podcast are not to be... Um, restrictive, but it's the best way to do it that gives you the greatest chance to create wealth and get where you want to go. So we're going to give you models and then you can tweak them. So he believes, I, and I totally agree with his 30% down number. I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense. The next part of it, so 30% 30, 30 down, the next 30% is spend no more than 30% of your monthly income on the house payment. Spend no more than 30%. Now, the reason he gives you a guideline, and I think it's so brilliant what he says, is because you're likely, when you go get pre-qualified with your lender, going to go way, be able to go way past the number that you're thinking. Uh, you'll often go get approved. You're like, hey, I, I'm thinking about buying a $500,000 house. Like, oh, Cole, you could buy a $750,000 house. But see, if you don't have a working model to think backwards, say, yeah, but that's more than 30% of my income. The payment on that seven dollars or $50,000 house put me at 38% of my income as an example. Now, why do we want to stay within 30% of our income? By doing so is going to free up additional capital that you can go use to invest to create passive income, which as we covered in previous episodes, shows you that you can create more passive income and ultimately get you at the destination that you wanted when you started working in your career. If you haven't watched our first episode, 0001, we walk you through through kind of our methodology where we go way out in the future and then we work backwards to where we're at today. We create check-in points to know if we're on or off track. So go check out that episode. And so now we want, we want to make sure that when we're buying something, a payment that we're going to have, we want to make sure we still got enough money left over to go do the investments for the things that really get us free. And, and you've got to really think about your primary residence. I fundamentally do not believe that your primary residence is an investment. You know, I do come from the Robert Kiyosaki school of thought, which is like, you got to look whose balance sheets that's on. Unless you're paying cash, um, that home is a liability. And even if you are paying cash, I would still argue the home's a liability because you're going to number one, you're going to do things cold to your home that don't make economic sense. Uh, I'll give you a great example in my life right now, Cole. I'm building a pickleball court in the back of my house. And I got to tell you, I couldn't be more excited about it. It's going to provide amazing experiences. I love it. My wife is turning into the most devout, crazy pickleball person in the best way possible. However, Cole, I don't know the next person uh, that buys my home loves pickleball, right? There's a there's just a chance that in the all the buyers out there, the family that wants to buy my home says, hey, I don't, so all the money I spent in putting in that pickleball court, that's not gonna come back to me in terms of return on investment. And if you look at your home that way, it, it's not gonna make sense. 
like think of when I go buy an investment property, it's like I want to be in a certain zip code in a certain neighborhood, and I will write an offer or I will mail every single three bedroom, two bath house in that neighborhood. I'm looking for the best numbers and I'll buy it. Well, when I have a primary residence, I have things I want to pick. I want a certain backyard. I want a north facing. I want to have only two neighbors, like my boy Maddie. My boy Maddie. He will only buy a home, his dream, he doesn't do it now, but his, if all the things equal, he would have only two neighbors. Now, I prefer to have no neighbors, right? All things being equal. I'm a very private person at home. But the point is, you've got to keep your, that 30% number allows you to have more freedom. The last part of his criteria, so save 30% down, spend no more than 30% of your income, and this is probably the hardest part, limit the purchase price. You've got to limit the purchase price to three times, three times, Cole, your annual income. So another way to do that, right? If we divide the 500,000 divided by three, Cole, I got to go see what that actually is. I got to do that. I can't do that just totally in my head. So I'll spin out a number. And then in the comments, I'll just get lit on fire. This guy's teaching wealth and he can't even do basic math. Uh, all right. You need to be making about $166,000 a year to buy that $500,000 home. So all three of those, if you line that up combined, right, this would be the criteria to buy your home that gives you the best chance of having lots of money left over so you could go uh, invest in other things. I, I th This is a baseline criteria. And so the way I'm going to answer this question today is I'm going to answer it the way I answer it to my niece. So I got these people ask me about, should I buy a home right now? My niece comes to me and says, Uncle Brett, should I go buy a home right now uh, in 2024? Uh, I just got a great job. I'm out of college. I'm doing all the right things. I want to buy a home. And I said, here's my framework that uh, I think that you should think through. Number one, first thing I did, I mailed her a copy of Sam Dojan's book, Buy This, Not That. I said, read this book, and I want you to read his methodology so it doesn't come from me. Uh, and then I'm going to expand on it. And I, and I expanded on that with her. And so the first thing I asked her was, how long will you live in it? So I think we got to ask ourselves how long we live in it. When you buy a home, the shorter the period of time you're going to live in it could mean that you actually sell the property and are not in equity. So let's say you buy a property and it goes up 5% over two years as an example. Historically, real estate's gone up 5 to 6% if you averaged like a 100-year period. But you might buy in a, in a softening market. So the longer your horizon over the long haul, if you're going to own it five plus years, you should go buy a home. The reason why you own a home and I would love to hear the thoughts in the comments before you hear this part. So you can hit pause, type your comment. The reason why you want a home, own a home is you lock in your long-term housing costs. Rents over the long haul are going to go up 2 to 3% per year on average indefinitely. You may have years where it stays the same, but on all the rental property I own, I'm raising the rent 3% per year. So if you figure today, the average rent's probably on a three-bedroom, two-bath home in Maricopa County is probably somewhere around, I'm going to call it $1,750. So Cole, that means every year your rent's going up 52 bucks, right? It'll increase in the future, obviously, because 3% of a higher number. But Every year you're paying more. So when you own a home, what have you done? You've locked in your housing costs for 30 years. And then if you just, if you don't refinance at the end of 30 years, you now don't have a payment. You're only paying for the taxes and insurance. So I, most folks, right, that's 30 years is when they retire. So now their income may go down and now they don't have a house payment and voila, things are better. So the longer you own the home, the better. So my first thing to her was you need to go figure out how long you own the home. Second thing you need to do, you need to go figure out your actual payments on the home you want to buy. The, not the one you say you're willing to buy, like, oh, I could kind of live here. No, the actual home that you're really going to buy. 
the real one when it's like emotional and all those things, right? Because as human beings, we're highly emotional. We make emotional decisions and then we run it backwards and we justify them with logic. And we all do it. Uh, and I'll give you an example in your own life. And when you're watching this, I guarantee there's been at some point you had a car repair. You went out, your car had a brake issue, some, some flux capacitors out on your car. And then what do you say? You go in there and it's gonna be like $1,800 to repair this flux capacitor. And then what do you say? Ah, this thing's gonna keep breaking. It's gonna break constantly. You know what I'm gonna do? Just buy a brand new car. I'm gonna go get a $40,000 or $50,000 car because I don't wanna pay $1,800, right? That's a totally emotional decision that you're justifying with logic that's just not real, right? So you gotta be very careful we don't do that with housing. So number one, are we gonna, are we gonna live there five plus years? Number two, what is the real payment gonna be? Number three, I wanna know what is the current rent you're paying right now? What's the delta? So subtract your payment. And then I want you to subtract the current rent, realizing the home, you're gonna be responsible for these other things. So I would take the house payment and I would add $300 a month beyond the taxes and the, the pity payment, Pro principal, interest, taxes, insurance. I wanna, if you have an HOA, add that to it. Total payment plus $300 minus your current rent gives you the delta between what you're likely gonna be spending. This is the additional cash you're gonna put out every single month to own a home, right? The difference between renting and owning. Okay, number four, I wanna know, because I'm hoping your first home, you're gonna live there for two to five years, but I want you to keep it. So even if you only live for two years, I want you to keep it, turn it into a rental property and go buy something else. One of the models that I've talked so often to young folks about is what I call house, 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 home. I want you to go buy a home, and if you're gonna use a 5% down payment, if you're gonna go that route, get in there and hopefully when two to three years, you could break even or make a few dollars in cash flow on renting that property out, realizing the future rents go up and you're gonna get to the cash flow numbers you need, right? This is a way you can get an owning property that's safe and you can continue to buy more and more houses. Now there is risk because you're not cash flowing entirely, but it's a way for you to get in the game. We just gotta have savings, right? The more savings we have, we can mitigate some of the initial cash flow risks. Today, when I go buy an investment property, I wanna make $500 plus. I'm willing to put 20 or 30 or 40% down to do it. But again, I'm going at this from the primary residence angle. So what is market rent? Number four thing is what is market rent on that house today? And I wanna know at 3% increases, how long is it gonna take? How many years do I need between today and then before it's going to hit my monthly payment? Like in other words, when am I able to, if I moved out of here, can I rent it and break even? I've still got some costs and I understand those things, but when I'm able to break even just on a gross cash flow basis. So once we've got that math together, now we look and see how it compares. And I wanna go look at different markets in the country and see how this might work out. So I'm gonna go and I'm just using the classic realtor.com. Uh, being a card carrying realtor myself, Cole, believe it or not, realtors don't go to realtor.com, but this is where someone might go. So I'm gonna go to Gilbert, Arizona, suburb of Phoenix, and I'm gonna pick a single family house. I'm gonna pick one that is three beds, two baths, uh, two baths. And I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm gonna sort by lowest price, right? So if I'm looking here, you're gonna see some things and we've got, and I'm gonna, I kinda just know this market better, but you see we got these really small lots. Um, I don't even know, Cole, this is a fascinating one here. I don't even know how you could have a 1,969 square foot lot on a third. I mean, that literally means the driveway, that backyard, Cole, if you were to flick an eraser, you're already in your neighbor's, you're in your neighbor's living room, right? You're in their pool. So let's go, 
let's get down into what might be what I'm going to call entry level housing today that that I think someone buy. Here we I like here a normal size. I mean, not a huge lot. We've got a 7,400 square foot lot. It's on Patrick four two two seven. It's Patrick Street, a majestic name. Uh, it's it's, this is your classic starter home. It's got the tile from 15 years ago. It's got the the cabinets that, you know, you just paint over those. Uh, kind of a nice property, Cole. This is, this is a nice house. Do we get do we have more photos of this? Oh, exterior. Let's go there. Kind of show this thing off. Really dress this up. Oh, got a backyard. All right, cool. So here's our property. We've got we've got a four four thousand five four $455,900. And I'm going to do, I'm going to run this two different ways. So I'm going to run this. I'm actually going to run this in Dogen's model. I think it makes the most sense. So 455,000, I'm going to assume today that I can get a slight discount. I buy it for, we'll call for 440 and I'm going to put 20% down. So my loan amount on this is $352,000 and I'm going to plug this in a 10 BII calculator. So I've got a loan amount of $352,000 which you can see right here, um, and as number of payments, interest rate, I put 6.5%. That might be a little too low for today. I'm going to go 6.75. Uh, all right, and there's my principal value. So my loan amount's $352,000. Gives me a payment of $2,283.07. That is principal and interest only. So the taxes on this are probably going to be, I'm going to call it 150 bucks a month. Insurance is going to be another 100 Let me get... Roughly $50 in HOA. So we'll call it $300. So you're all in coal. I'm going to round this up. $2,600, you got a house payment. Okay, so now the question I want to know is what would this same property rent for today? So you, if you're watching this, you're going to take your current rent and subtract it. So we're going to go $2,600. We're going to add $300 for just random maintenance and things that are going to come up throughout the year that, again, you wouldn't have. You'd call your landlord to fix the garbage disposal. Instead, you're fixing the garbage disposal. And there are things when you buy a home that can mitigate a lot of this, right? You can get a home warranty to where you just pay a service call and they come out and fix most things. Do they fix everything? Like if you buy a home warranty for $450 at closing and your AC breaks the next day, they're not gonna give you a brand new AC unit. I know they might say that, but that's not what's gonna happen. But they're gonna go out and they're gonna fix your AC so that it blows cold air and you're gonna pay about 75 bucks for that service call. So we can mitigate this $300 per, per month. I think it's very conservative and it's a number we can operate within. So we get a $2,900 a month uh, all in payment versus renting. Now let's go see Cole. I'm going to grab 85295. And I'm going to go for rent in 85295. I'm pulling up the houses here. And I'm able to sort a little bit. Was it not? Oh, new listings. I don't want that. Oh, there we go. Property type. I, oh, come on, internet. Oh, the rental search is slightly different. So I just got to, I guess... I'll sort by low to high, kind of like I did on the houses. Can I not get rid of, there we go. Single family. Now it's let me do a call. Just sometimes the internet call, uh, I don't know if this ever happens to you being a young hip guy, but uh, for me, sometimes the internet doesn't work. And it's obviously never my skills. Never once that's been the problem. It's always the computer needs something. I need a new computer. So I'm going to call, this guy's pretty close. So 2350. So, Cole, if you're running over twenty three fifty, you're going to own it for twenty nine hundred. So, twenty nine hundred minus our twenty three fifty gives us five hundred fifty bucks. Now, we know that real estate of the long haul will appreciate. 
right? We know that it's going to go up. And so if we, over time, if we're going to have it five years, we're going to, let's just do average appreciation. So we bought it for $440,000. It's going up, we're going to call it 5% per year. So you're getting $22,000 and you're only paying $2,900 minus $2,350 times 12. So look, you've got $6,600 per year in additional cost to own the home in Gilbert, Arizona versus renting it. But you're getting appreciation, if all things go well, of $22,000. Now, if you went to sell it, you're going to have costs, right? You're going to pay a listing agent, you're going to pay a buyer, buyer's agent, you've got title closing costs. So on average, I would budget around 8% of your sales price when you go to sell it, which is the one of the core reasons why you need to hold it longer, right? Your cost to move in and out of property can be part can be expensive over the short term, over the long haul, over the long haul with massive appreciation, it totally works out. So when I'm looking at this, that would be my criteria. Am I comfortable? Do I have in my budget and do I hit the do I hit the remaining parts of the 3033 rule? Does that payment of the $2600 is that 30% of my monthly income? And did I limit the price, right? So again, this $440,000 house, in order to buy that in Dogen's rule, uh, I need to be making 440 divided by three. I need to be making $146,000 a year to operate within that. Now he does talk in that book, hey, if you're if it is your first home and you know maybe you've got a family coming or something, could you stretch the rule slightly? Sure, right? So could you go, if you're making $125,000, could you go buy this home today? Could it make sense? Uh, and I do agree. I think there's a time to stretch, but you just have to look at your budget. If you're not able to save money right now, if you look at your savings and you go in there, you're not saving money right now, adding $800, $600 a month to your monthly outflow will not help you get to where you want to go faster. It'll make it worse. So the other option would be, how could you do it if you're tight on the numbers? Another option would be, hey, you've got a, you've got a friend that wants to rent a room where you're all-inclusive. You're including the utility bills and you're including the internet and you're including something really cool, cool like Sling or Netflix or Hulu. Not all those once, Cole, but one of those. And so if you're doing that, would someone pay you maybe 800 or 1,000 bucks to rent a bedroom? Uh, possibly, and that could help bring your numbers in line and allow you to get into a house. And there are other advantages of owning a home, right? We get to write off the interest up to $750,000. Uh, there's all these benefits. One of the biggest benefits of owning a home, other than the ones we talked about already, is as long as you own the home and you sell it, but if you own it and you lived in it two out of the last five years, you don't pay tax on up to $250,000 of the gain as an individual, up to half a million dollars of the gain if you're married. Right, so if this house you buy it for 440, you live there five years, and you sell it, and you make 250,000 bucks, you're not going to pay tax. It's one of the greatest games ever played. I see there is a strategy out there. I'm not saying I agree with it, where I've seen people keep every three or four years or five years, especially if the home appreciates and they're in a great cycle, will sell the home and buy another one, sell the home and buy another one, because there's very few opportunities in life where you could sell something and pay no tax. And that's just the basic part of the IRS tax code. There's not even, that's not even creative, Cole. That's not even getting cute with like a cost segregation or tax strategy that we'll get into in a future episode. We're just talking about today, should you buy a home? So I went with this math with my niece, and I'm excited to see where she lands. And I wanna to go to one, uh, a different market in the country to give you some feel for how would this play out. So I gave you Gilbert, Arizona. I'm gonna give you Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas, uh, whose pr the prices in Austin have run up pretty dramatically. So let's go do the same thing here. So Austin, Texas, we've got a house. 
we're going to go three bed. Same criteria, sort it by lowest price. We may have to tighten up Austin because it goes forever because you're going to see stuff like this that's out in uh, far. Uh, I'm going to do something in the city. So let's go here. Let's just get in a little. That's not too crazy, Cole, but we'll get in a little tighter. More like here-ish. There we go. All right. So back to the list. Let's find the, the and I and I kind of know Austin a little bit because like my it's my second home. Cole, I'm a little surprised the numbers aren't radically different. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a higher number here, Cole, just so we get a different uh, set of circumstances. Obviously, the lower the purchase price. I was gonna do Huntsville, Alabama. Spoiler alert: If you're thinking about buying a home in Huntsville, I own a lot of homes there. The math works, right? The thirty, it, the lower the price, the easy. Right, because you're you're tripling your income and it has to be beneath that, right? For the 3033 rule makes it a lot easier. So I'm gonna pick Cole an amazing seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar house. For all the kids out there, it does seem crazy uh thinking about this is a starter home, but in some markets in the country, this is reality. So I've got to adjust price to be a minimum of seven hundred thousand. So this goes faster. And so we're going to pick a home. We're going to pick this one on Blairwood. This thing looks super cool. And if you know, if you have a seafoam garage door, I mean, that's something I didn't even thought about. First of all, greatest color ever created, seafoam. Two main colors out there that I love, seafoam and salmon. Uh, big fan. And look, they did the garage door and front door to Matt and the numbers. Uh, I got a story for another day. We had we were doing a lot of flips, and my uh, <laughs> the guy that was running the flips for me said we had to have a certain font on the house numbers. It was crazy expensive, which made no sense. But Look, this is a great house. Uh, your three bed, two bath, nineteen hundred fifty square feet on a quarter acre lot, right? This would be this. This house is awesome. Okay, perfect. So seven hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. We're gonna assume we get it for seven hundred grand. We're gonna put twenty percent down, one hundred forty thousand dollars. So we're gonna be financing five hundred and sixty thousand bucks. So five sixty. Gives us a payment of $3,600. Now, in Texas, the property tax are much, much higher because they don't have state income tax. So the property tax are actually higher. So your property tax are probably going to be 300 bucks a month, I would guess here, maybe more, 400 Another 1000 insurance, we'll call it five. And we're going to add that 300 to it for the ongoing repairs throughout the year. So 800 bucks. We're around $4,500 is going to be our payment on this house. So $4,500. Now we got to look if we were, would it make sense? Now, this will be interesting to see because rents in Austin are not uh, inexpensive. So we go here. We got the, we got to get to, to realtor.com. You can't go look at a hotel, Cole. That's not going to get you. We're not going to stay in hotels. I mean, who are we kidding? 78745. I'm there. I want to rent. I want to rent a home that is a three bedroom. Two bath. All right, so you're seeing rents in there, and I'm going to scroll up a little bit to get some more like, I wonder if there's something really cool. Oop, this guy's going seafoam on the door, but that's not our same guy. It's not our guy. We need a quarter acre lot. Let's just go find something comparable. It's kind of similar. We're getting warmer. Um, again, this won't be exact comps, guys, so if anyone wants to rip me apart in the comments, just kind of stick with me for a minute. Did I sort by low? I want to make sure I did this correctly. Oh, sorry, guys. Uh, low to high. All right, we're 
to scroll up a bit. All right, which one of these, it's like a game. Which one of these is most like the one we've got? I would say we're getting warm. I kind of like this one, right? It's 32, we go one more. I feel like our place is pretty nice. It's got a garage, I like this. All right, I'm gonna call it 30, 3,300 a month versus 4,500, right? So Cole, you've got a $1,200 Delta there. Now, again, the other math we're running is at a 3% increase, how long is it gonna take for this if we ever wanted to make it a rental? Right, so 32.95 times 3%, got about $100 per year. So it's gonna take us, Cole, to get to just our payment. At 100 bucks a year, we need to get from 32.95 to, oh, actually it's not that bad. We're gonna need to get to, what did I say? Uh, 500 bucks, 41. We're gonna have about, what is that, eight year, 33 to 41, eight years of increases before rents would equal to where we could rent it out, right? So that's why, again, we're close to that five-year mark, and I would run that math out. Now, go apply that to any market in the country. If you're looking at buying, uh, like when you go to Huntsville, you can get a really great house. We saw for two, $300,000. So, and those properties, they almost, the rents and the payments are in line. So ultimately, run that math, figure out, go through the process, read by this, not that. And he gives you frameworks for other things. So we wanted to give you that framework to go through and buy your house. I would love to see how did you, how does this relate to your current situation, especially if you bought a home a while back or you put quite a bit of money down. I'd love to know how the 30-33 rule applies to you. Uh, there's lots of other things in Buy This, Not That. One of the things in his book that he talks about, uh, he relates to cars, right? This is not about cars, but I'm just giving you different examples that came out of the book on models. He says that you shouldn't buy a car that's more than 10% of your annual income. So if you're making $150,000 an example we use, he believes that your car purchase price all in should not be more than $15,000. Uh, I agree with the logic. I love the math behind it because it keeps a lot of money in your pocket to go do cool things. However, today, I think that's really, really hard to find a quality vehicle for, um, for $15,000. I do think you could get to 20%, so spend no more than 20% of your income on a car. I can agree with that. And then if you do so, you just gonna have to keep your car longer. Um, but go out there. I want you to take a look, compare that. If you're thinking about buying a home, I'd love to see how this relates to you. Let's hear your thoughts in the comments. We did have a couple of questions from our Facebook group. We'll actually click a link. It's Be A Wealthy Agent with Brett Tanner. You can join our Facebook group. Uh, it's totally free and it's where a lot of our listeners interact and you get our tribe of people, the people that are all on the same mission asking your questions. A couple more questions from there was, so does age affect how you think about this? I don't think it does. I mean, it's provided you're still looking at this as a long-term investment, it's five plus years, you're using the criteria you probably want to reduce your risk further. So you might want to be well inside of those numbers. So I think age drives those numbers, meaning make they're more conservative. Maybe you only buy a home, it's you want to put 40 or 50% down and you want that payment to be way, way less than 30% uh, of your income. So that might be how I think about it. I try to reduce my risk further. Uh, the other question, what should you do if you decide to wait? Does this mean wait on the sideline for a few years? If if you decide to wait, if you say, hey, the numbers don't line up, maybe I'm short on one part of the 30-33 rule. I don't have enough down payment saved. So if I decided to wait, I would figure out, number one, what was the cause of me waiting? Was it I didn't have the down payment? Then I would make sure that the actions I'm taking are allowing me to save 
money, right? I want to save the money so I have the 30% instead of having a smaller down payment because that will help you in all ways reduce your risk. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear your questions uh, in the comments here. Join our Facebook group. Go out, be wealthy. See you soon.